Hi there, and welcome to the Man in the Van podcast, your regular audio drive time companion, where our main aim is education through a conversation. Through our conversations, delve deep into all things related to the tradesperson contracting community, from news to education to industry happenings, helping you do better business while building a better and improved South African tradesmen and women contracting community. Thanks for tuning in. Let's start the conversation. Very warm welcome to our audience. My name is Willem Klopper. I'm your host. And in this episode, we will discuss auditing. Now, with me in studio, I have my anchors, Miss Lorraine Moy from PARB and Mr. Steve Brown from IOPSA. And then, of course, I've got our guests, uh, Mr. Richard Bailey from IOPSA, Mr. Adrian Mayberg, also from IOPSA, and Mr. Hermann Strauss from PARB. Just before we give our guests the opportunity to introduce themselves, let's hit the brakes. We'd like to remind our audience that this episode is proudly brought to you by Articulated Plumber. Let's continue the conversation. Now, back to our guests. Richard, if we can start off uh, just a very brief introduction of yourself, who you are and uh, what your current role in the sector is. I'm involved with PERB in the sense that uh, I'm, I'm on the national executive, but uh, with IOPSA, I'm auditing um, and then I do this sort of stuff as well, a bit of training here and there. So yeah, and I'm about almost hitting a half a century. Adrian, if you don't mind, please just give us a brief introduction of yourself, who you are, what your current role in the sector is. Hi, Willem. Uh, start off with the most important thing. I'm a licensed plumber, uh, have been for a while. I am currently the senior plumbing and drainage inspector for the Nelson Mandela Bay Metro. I am an AOPSA compliance auditor. I'm the current AOPSA president and I'm also a PRB EXCO member. So I'm reasonably involved in various spheres of the plumbing industry. All right. And then Mr. Hermann Strauss, if you would just get to give us a little bit of an introduction to yourself, please. My current role in the in the industry is I manage the audit process from the PRB. So my background, I I, I come from a from a compliance environment. I've worked many years for the SABS, um, doing testings. I sat on several of the um, standards committees where the standards are are being written. Still still busy with that. But as I say, from at the moment, we quite enjoy the process um, at the at PRB and making sure that the audits actually takes place and add value to the plumbing industry. Oh, thank you for that, Herman. Adrian, why is there an auditing process and why is there the requirement for issuing a COC when plumbing work is done? I think the short and sweet answer to that would be that as a professional, in other words, a licensed plumber, we need to issue COCs for work done as per the professional body rules. Being a PRB member, there's a set of ground rules or house rules, if you want to call them, and it involves issuing COCs for work done by a said professional. This adds value um, uh, or a win-win situation, if you want to refer to it like that, where both the client is in basically guaranteed uh, improved quality work, but at the same time, with the plumbers being audited, it's part of upskilling the individual that is being audited. That would be the the reason for issuing the COC as a as a as being part of a professional body. As far as the audits are concerned, that is a requirement for um, a professional body from SACWA that all their members as, as professionals or their, their registered members, that their work be monitored and their work being audited as part of a quality process. Like I said, if it adds value or the, the COC process adds value, then that would be part of it, that the work being monitored and audited by the professional body on their members. So if we just get uh, jumping in there, let's just drop the word member and talk about the registered individual. Remember, we keep having issues with members of this and members of that. So for clarity, you are a IOPSA member and with PIRB, you're a registered licensed plumber. Licensed plumber. Yes, sorry about that, Mr. Brown. Yes, that would be the correct terminology for the rest of the session. All right, thank you for that, Adrian. I appreciate that answer. And uh, 
Herman, you said that from a PRB perspective and, and your involvement with the auditing uh, process and, and managing the auditing process from a PRB's perspective, uh, can you tell me what are the criteria for selecting auditors? And if I could just add two more questions to that specific question, how do auditors become listed as auditors in the first place? And, and Secondly, to add to that, how are auditors selected to perform audits on COCs that have been selected for audit? All right, that, that, that's a lot of stuff, but <laughs> let's get to it. So first of all, it's, it's quite important to understand that PRB does not have staff that does the audits. The audit function is actually subcontracted to IOPSA, and we can, we can get to that. But there are certain rules and certain agreements in place for PRB to ensure that the, that the auditors are at the right level and that the audits that takes place is, well, exactly what it is supposed to be. So part of the requirements that the, uh, that the OPSA has to comply with when they appoint the, um, the auditors is, first of all, experience. An auditor must be exper experienced. He need to really know his work. He need to be on top of the standards. He need to, uh, yeah, I mean, this, this person needs to audit other people's work. So you need to be, have a next level understanding of the standards, of the, the details, the intricacies. Then some very important thing, it's one thing to know the standards and to have the experience, but they still need some training on how to do the work, how to conduct themselves. And that added, added support to, to, to further upskill them, to, to further give them the tools that they need. And then, of course, no auditor will be um, let loose on the, on the audits, um, start his work without being thoroughly tested and, and vetted that, that he is actually, that he can show he's, he's capable of doing the work on, on all the necessary levels. So, so I deduce from your answer, Herman, that there, there are methods and measures put into place to ensure that auditors are competent to perform audits, they, they've got the correct knowledge and skills and the training necessary and, and perhaps even the experience within the plumbing sector and in the, in the plumbing work. Is, is that correct? No, most definitely. Our auditor definitely need to have the, the necessary skills in order to, to conduct the audit, in order to, to understand. It's one thing to do the plumbing right, but it's something else to, um, to oversee or to, to evaluate a plumbing installation to look for the, the detail that, that the auditor needs to look for. And uh, remember, part of that process is that that auditor effectively help train the plumber, help, help upskill the plumber, give him that little bit of additional insight that, that he might not, uh, not have. Often it happens that the, um, the auditor will point out a, a small mistake that the plumber make, but the plumber learns so much more in this process. And it's important that the auditors are, are really up to standard and capable um, uh, to be able to do that, uh, to fulfill that. So, Willem, just to give you an idea, you know, it all starts off with, I mean, everybody seems to think that everybody would like to be an auditor, that it's an easy job, go out to site, you know, check a few things, come back, and, you know, you, you're a multimillionaire now. But that's certainly not the case. I think what happens is that the first thing starts off with a motivational letter from the individual who would like to, to be a, a part of the auditing team. And that goes through, and, and through that, you get a sense of, of where that individual individual is and follows the criteria that, that Herman's putting together there is that, you know, it gives you an insight in terms of the individual. Is he somebody that, that that's going to be a, a trainer? Because it's a, a whole lot of things, your soft skills, your, your uh, knowledge of standards, how you deal with people. It's all that type of thing that comes in with it. And then there's additional things that come along where we have a 60 minute, uh, 60 questions, 60 minutes. So that in itself, you know, you say 60 questions and it's done online, but that, you know, really is the crux of where it is because now you're getting to the next level of who this individual is and what his uh, understanding of the, the standards are. And it's a tough call to do 60 questions in 60 minutes. But again, we're looking at that individual that you know uh, understands it and it should be just rolling off your tongue in terms of that. And then we have follow up, and I think in terms of the time frame, you know, Bianca would be able to give us a little bit more detail in terms of time. But 
but basically then it's testing of systems and standards and everything else. So the process could take up to, you know, four to five weeks in terms of the various levels of training that are done and conducted. And then there's a mentorship part that goes with it, where we would allocate an individual with a, 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 a current compliance auditor to learn from. So there's many steps and balances and checks in place before an individual is actually put out on his own. So that's just the five minutes and a, a huge amount of processes and procedures that are in place. Absolutely. And I think that brings a, a, a lot of uh, clarity on that mm-hmm. issue. And, and, and many of our audience members may have had those questions and, and may have wanted to know exactly what it takes and, and what the criteria is of selecting auditors to become listed as auditors. How are auditors selected to perform audits on COCs that have been selected uh, for audit uh, from a PRB perspective, Herman? Okay, so from a PRB perspective, um, the the starting point is actually that the all audits are on a statistical base. In other words, the PRB doesn't select um, the easy the, the the easy targets uh, or the easy installations where to audit and so on. So there's a statistical process going through normally on a weekly basis to evaluate where uh, COCs have been locked throughout the country um, based on various stat- stats auditors are selected. And the auditors, I mean, this is where the practicalities comes in. I mean, which auditors are in the area? So there's a, especially in the highly populated areas, they, we try to have multiple auditors in the area so that one auditor doesn't always audit the same plumber. So that you can allocate different auditors to the same to the same plumbers in different areas, it's simply trying to manage a st- statistical reasonable um, average spread across the country. But I think also just to add to that, sorry, um, uh, in terms of you know the auditors, so very clearly you know we identify in terms of the areas, and we'll get to IOPS's role just now. But basically, um, you know we got to understand that the auditing section has gone from a very low sort of base, and which Richard and Adrian will, will, will sort of attest to, is that you know in the beginning with PIRB without the implementation in 2017 of the COC for geezers, uh, but it, it's it's certainly rocketed in the last couple of years. So. So therefore, so as the database of auditors, you know, and again, we have more than as um, uh, Hermans just said, you know, in the major centers, you'll have more than one. But even in the smaller regions, we've got two, you know, so that the, the question always gets asked, who audits the auditors? Because bearing in mind, some of these guys are practicing plumbers and it's there just for the sake of transparency and, and auditors that practice plumbing do get audited. Yeah, I think I think one of the one of the important things to add in there as well is is to understand that the the audit allocations are done by PIRB it, within our office. We do the we do the allocations. We do it in collaboration with IOPSA. I mean, IOPSA effectively um, confirm which auditors are available, who's got capacity. But all the selections are done by PRB. Um, IOPSA implements the process. But the system is set up as, as such as as Steve said that we can send auditors from. If need be, we can send somebody from Gauteng to go and order the guys in Cape Town. Um, that's part of the part of the way that we can cover the the whole country. All the areas of the of the country can be covered by the auditors. I want to I want to come in with a different question from a different angle, and and most probably the the audience members will will appreciate this. Is is every COC that 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 plumbers issue when they do plumbing work? What can they what can plumbers expect when it comes to the COCs that have been logged and the the ratio the ratio of audits that may be done on it, etc. What what is the expectation there? Okay, so the the PRB work on a five percent audit ratio. The principle is that if if we audit five percent of the work that a plumber does, um, the the typical way that the plumber does things will be will normally be highlighted and identified uh, during this five percent. So it's not only the five percent that's audited that is affected by that, but all the work done by the plumber going forward um, is also affected because that five percent highlights. Um, certain trends and it provides the plumber the education, the upskilling that he needs to to do improved installations on all of his work. Okay. So so if, if there may be plumbers who have more of their COCs audited than, than others? Uh, yes and no. So the, the, this is one of the things that the, that PRB manages on a, on a act or actively try to manage is we monitor the 
the percentages for each plumber. We we monitor the percentages for the country, uh, for all areas and so on. So as a rule, we try not to overburden any any plumber with too many audits. Um, the uh, the the intention and and it's attempted to spread it as as wide as possible. There are level of um, stats that um, influence all of this. So yes, some auditors will have slightly more. Some audit, uh, some plumbers will have slightly more audits. Some plumbers will have slightly less. It depends on various factors. But I think the most important is you'll never get that one that one plumber just gets all the audits. Um, or that we're not picking on any specific person. So fair it's game. A, there's a fair big, game. There's a big effort in, into going, yeah, spreading it a, a, a evenly across everybody. 100%. But also, Herman, just to add to that, Willem, is that we also do have a percentage in terms of the allocations through PIRB uh, for what they would deem to be special audits. So it may have gone not been audited by or picked up for auditing, but there's been a complaint received from the consumer uh, with regards to certain queries and questions uh, with regards to that installation. And that can also be called, uh, picked up as a special audit. Well, thanks for that. And just before we continue the conversation, it's time to hear Hit the brakes again. We'd like to remind our audience that this episode is proudly brought to you by Articulated Plumber. Let's continue the conversation. Welcome back. Now, to continue our discussion, I would like to ask the following question. What is IOPSA's role in conducting the audits? And if I can maybe just put a little clarity on, then why, on, on why I'm asking that question is, why are the audits uh, subcontracted or outcontracted to IOPSA? Well, I think that the basis on this was if you if you see the P, the role of the PIRB, which was to register the individuals and monitor it, but I think it was brought across that that the PIRB would judge, jury, and executioner, so everything fell within their ambit, uh, and therefore, for for want of a better word, in terms of transparency and having a separate individual or a separate entity to be able to conduct those audits, uh, would separate the judge, jury, and executioner, and therefore, um, you know, in terms of IOPSA. It, it was uh, picked up in terms of that role. And IOPSA now performs all of those functions and obviously the, list, the link between PIRB office and ourselves. That's the reason. It was just for a more clear, transparent uh, 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 PIRB in terms of they are not the judge, jury, and executioner, that there is a third party or a second party involved in the process of the auditing. And bearing in mind, you know, through this um, and IOPS's role in terms of training is that it's a double-edged sword in terms of from our guys on the ground, like the Adrians and, and the uh, uh, Richards, et cetera, is that we correlate a lot of this information that we come up and we find in the field where guys are maybe falling short or not very understanding certain aspects of the standards. Then we conduct the training and, and through our auditor's training and then put practical training or theoretical training involved uh, for the sector, identifying areas that uh, the plumbers are maybe not getting 100% right. So there's a lot of functions in it, but it's more about the transparency in terms of IOPSA fulfilling the role of the auditor. It's, yeah, just just as, a, as an add-on to what Steve was saying there, that you know what, if you consider that um, as PRB, um, as the office where Herman is, I mean, there were, there were never enough people employed by PRB to actually fulfill that function. If they were going to go that route, it probably would have ended up being a logistical nightmare. But I've had several discussions previously with guys, and to get this terminology correct, according to Mr. Brown, that we have got registered professionals who are plumbers. And if you take that, the auditors, in order, one of the requirements for you to become an auditor is you need to be an OPSA member, and you need to be a licensed plumber as well. So in other uh, industries or in other parts of industries, you'll find that this process is regarded as a peer review. I know the engineering fraternity, all of those people do the same thing. So you've basically got plumbers checking on plumbers and that's where the entry level or the entry criteria to become an auditor becomes more important. But the fact that OPSA already had the resources as far as having to do these audits was just a huge plus to the whole process. Adrian, can I deduce from that that uh, auditing is is about accountability? When you say that it's peer review, yes, very much so. Um, the mere fact that you sign a declaration or certificate, you certify on your COC that all your work complies. 
this whole auditing process just puts emphasis on that the guys need to take care and they need to make sure that when they do sign for something that everything is in order because once your signature has gone down there, you've issued to your client and you've logged with the PRB, it's impossible to withdraw a COC. Once you've put it into the system, it's there for life and you, if you do get audited, you'll have to answer for whatever you've signed on that document for. 100%. I want to ask my next question to Richard, if you if you may, Richard. Can you just explain to me what exactly are plumbers audited on by the auditors? Well, it, look, the, the, the short answer is um, the standards. Uh, the, the only thing that the auditors work to, or let's put it this way, can compare uh, the plumbers work to is the South African national standards. So a colleague of mine, a very old dear colleague of mine once said to me, the only function of an auditor, you got to just understand that the only function of an auditor is to observe, compare what is in front of you to the national standards and report the differences. And that's your function. So th there should be no reason for any plumber to experience difficulties um, if he had, if he knows, first of all, we've already said that it's imperative for plumbers to know what the standards are and how to be able to um, interpret them to a certain extent. Uh, you know, we all learn as we go along. But having done that and then applied that to your work, there should be there should be no real difficulties. And increasingly, we are finding it uh, out in the auditors. All the auditors will will attest to this that increasingly the the quality of workmanship and the adherence to the the standards is increasing exponentially. It really is. There's a big difference. So um, so yeah. In a in a in a nutshell, we audit to the standards. That's the only thing that we can defend. I cannot defend my opinion if I don't like the, the fact that that pipe is blue and not red. I can't. I can't say to you, uh, remove it, please change it to the red pipe, because that's my opinion and I have no basis on which to say that. So the only thing that I can look to is the standards itself. Yeah, I, I, I definitely want to add on, and it's so important what Richard has, has just said, um, to understand that it's it's not the PRB that came up with the rules. It's not the auditor that decide what to audit and what not. It's not his opinion. It's not IOPSA's opinion. I mean, the standards are written through a national process uh, that's a whole discussion on its own. A quite interesting discussion, but I'll leave that for now. But the, the fact is, the standards are there, and that's the only guide, or the only guide against which anybody is is audited. And that's the responsibility of the PRB to verify whether whether the plumbing complies with the standards that were set for our country. Um, PRB most definitely does not add or take away from any of those requirements. Yeah, because I think it's also, sorry, Willem, it's also one of those things that the plumbers keep up coming and saying, the PIRB standards. And it's like Hanuman says, you know, we do not, you know, set, there are no PIRB standards other than following the standards and the laws of the land. So, you know, that's another aspect that comes up. PIRB says this, and it's not. It's the standards are very clear. So, so we now know that, um, and, and from your answers, I conclude that we know what the plumbing work, when an auditor goes out, uh, what the plumbing work is compared to, and it's compared to the standards. How will an auditor know what work has been done so that he knows that when he gets onto site to go and do his ex inspection, what to, to audit? Uh, Willem, I can come in there. That that responsibility will lie squarely on the shoulders of the plumber himself. When you issue a, a certificate of compliance, there is a there is an opportunity for you, and there's a little block, or well, there's there is space on whatever type of uh, whether it's a digital um, copy or a paper copy, there is space for you to describe exactly what it is that you've done in detail in your own words. But then there's also um, categories that you mark off and say, yes, I've, I've worked on the hot water system of this installation, or I've worked on the hot and cold water system. And then you go ahead and uh, describe in your own words what it is that you've done. And the more detail that is there, obviously, the, the better for you as the plumber, because often we come across instances, for example, where um, a plumber had plumbed uh, an entire property except the solar system, let's say a new a new installation, uh, because he wasn't a solar accredited plumber. So he ticks uh, 
uh, section one, two, three, and, and so on, does not tick solar, but he ticks hot water. So the auditor gets there and has a look at this. There's nothing else to indicate to the auditor that the solar system is to be excluded from this because hot water system uh, includes the hot water system unless it's stipulated. So there's confusion. There can be confusion. I don't want to be long-winded about it. But uh, it, I would say the, the responsibility lies with the with the, the plumber just to make sure that everybody knows exactly what you've done there. It's like anything. Just word it properly. Yeah, sorry. It's on that COC. But we also, like Richard says, we've got guys that have a stutter and they'll tick every single box that's there when they've only done one particular item. So it does have its challenges. And it goes back to the info that's provided by the licensed plumber. All right. Okay, Adrian, I want to shoot the next question to you, please. Are plumbers compelled to attend the actual audits? And and what is the procedure or the process if plumbers simply do not have the time to attend the actual audit? Uh, let's start off by saying that if you are in any way or shape or form available to actually attend an audit, that would be first price. Um, when it becomes a he said, she said, or they currently with the with the, the COVID setup, we do audits and we inform the contractors of the findings afterwards if they're not willing to stay outside or hang around outside while the audit's being con uh, conducted. But yes, if you if you are going to be sending someone to attend an audit on your behalf to make sure that he understands the terminology, is um, acquainted with the. Uh, requirements that he, he when you discuss something with him that he'd be able to convey the correct message in by the time we get to the office we need to go fix x y and z and when they get to site they phone you but uh, this is not wrong or what is wrong with this and so yes there's no it's not compulsory to attend but it is uh, very advantageous to the contractor to see if he can get there himself um, a lot of the plumbers uh, find that the process is a training for the, it's a training process for them and for them it's about learning more and they don't take it if they failed a certain item they don't take it as they don't take it to heart as if you know I failed they take it that it's a learning curve and I need to grow and learn from it and a lot of the guys that I've audited have are much better I mean the installations have you know they've improved tenfold simply because they've taken the time to be there and invested that time in being there and understanding that I need to get better at my own craft. So there's actually quite a great benefit to attend the actual audit for the plumbers. Yeah, sorry, uh, Adrian. Just to go back to what uh, uh, was said there by Lorraine, is that, you know, we've had many instances where the guys have actually said, you know, the half an hour, 45 minutes spent with the auditor, they've, they've learned so much in terms of, of, of plumbing uh, than they have in possibly the last year. So certainly the advocacy in terms of, of being there and learning is, is critical and key and adds a huge amount of benefit. Sorry, Adrian. No problem. Just to add on to what Steve was saying just now is that you even have some of the contractors asking whether they could bring some of their staff or some of their, the, the guys working for them to an audit so they can actually experience it firsthand or they can go through the job to have a look at when they do leave the office next time to do an installation and it's going to be audited. The auditor starts looking at this and this and where it fits into and how it goes. So some of them even bring some of their staff along to have the or to experience that whole process for that growth and development it's excellent yes but also development even goes further than that where uh, a company's got quite a few guys that are on the road and everything else and they've been experiencing problems or, or failures or whatever is that the compliance auditors actually go out on a, a saturday or sunday at the or sorry a saturday at the request of the of the uh, uh, the company owner to actually do one-on-one -on -one training with the individuals that work from them. So we just had two cases in the last week where our compliance auditors are spending time with companies where they've actually got all their staff in place to learn. So it goes back to what Adrian's saying. It's an encompassing, it's there, and it's beneficial and, and sometimes profitable now for the companies in order to uh, make sure they don't make the same mistakes again. Yeah, I just, I just want to add in, just to make sure there's no misunderstandings. This is actually the choice of the plumber. So from a PRB point of view, we most definitely encourage plumbers to attend the audits. That's something that we require from the auditors. They have to invite the plumber, give them the opportunity to attend. But we understand. I mean, everybody's got a business to run. It's not always practical. It's not always possible to be there. So we definitely encourage plumbers to attend the audits as far as possible. But we're not um, just simply um, 
the, the, the audit will, will, will continue and all the evidence um, communication will still be available and communicated to the plumber. What happens if a client doesn't want the audit conducted on their premises? Well, this is actually a very simple, short answer. We have to respect the wishes of the client. We cannot force any homeowner, uh, any client to open his doors for an audit process. However, what we try to do is we try to encourage them. We try to um, understand why they don't, they don't want the order to take place. Um, often it's fierce. It's the unknown. They don't know what to expect, where to go from. So we try to explain to them what it is about, the benefit for the homeowner itself. Normally, once the people learn what's happening, they open the doors and invite and say, oh, please, we're so grateful for something that works. Um, so uh, please come in. But... It does happen from time to time that owners just say, you know what, uh, no way I'm allowing it on my property. We respect their wishes and that audit will then be cancelled. Just before we continue the conversation, it's time to hit the brakes again. We'd like to remind our audience that this episode is proudly brought to you by Articulated Plumber. Let's continue the conversation. Welcome back. Now to continue our discussion, I would like to ask the following question. Adrian, if I can ask you, what is a rectification notice? I think it's important to start off by saying that a notification or that rectification notice is not a physical document. It's not something that can be copied to the owner. It's not something that can be added or, or downloaded anywhere. It is simply a system-generated communication to the plumber to inform him of any remedial work required on work that was audited. In other words, by the time he goes to his portal or his uh, dashboard, you'll see that there's a, a, a rectification notice. You open up the audit sheet, you can see what went wrong. It's all marked in red or it's highlighted. And on the new system, it, it's just become so much easier. But I think it's just important to note that it's not something that can be sent to an owner or to uh, the owner of a company or the owner of the premises being audited. It's simply just a message to the plumber informing him that he's got remedial work to do on an audit. Right. And Herman, and I have to ask you now, because from a PRB perspective, what is the risk of four plumbers if they do not attend to or complete the refixes that may be required by these rectification notices? Um, I, I want to start by saying I don't like your question. <laughs> I don't want to re refer to it as risks or something to the plumber. I think the reason why I make a fuss about that is, remember the PRB process, it's not a punitive process. It's not, uh, we, we don't take a stick approach and try to knock the plumber until he listens. It's a process of upskilling to try and help and guide them through the process. So, uh, yes, of course, plumbers are, need, to, need to attend to their refixes and need to do that. But they, and of course, there's a disciplinary process. But like all reasonable processes, it's aimed at upskilling and helping. So where, where plumbers cannot attend to refixes or where the processes start, it might it, it normally start with a warning. If there's persistent non-compliance, continues the plumber um, just refused to, to improve and, and to come to the party as they should and agree to, to do that, it, it can definitely end in, suspens in suspension. Obviously, we look at everything on a case-to-case on a -case basis. Some severe cases might end in an in immediate uh, suspension that has happened before and in some cases well you have to have to acknowledge the the specific environment the specific facts at the matter and i want to re-emphasize the whole process it's not a stick approach it's not let's see how how quick we can knock the plumber into submission not, not at all it is completely focused on how do we how do we help upskill help learn help make sure if if we know that every next installation is better than the one before imagine where we're going to be in a few months that's a great great answer thank you for that herman i want to ask richard richard what is the procedure or the process if plumbers disagree with auditors. In other words, an auditor gets out to site, he does his inspection, he finds that there are aspects of the plumbing installation or repairs that do not comply with the standards or the requirements, he lets the plumber know about it by the rectification notice and then he requires a refix. What is the process if the plumber then disagrees with what the auditor has, has found? Yeah. No, listen, that's, that's, a, that's a very good question because it's a very, very important um, uh, thing that plumbers must realize that they 
I, 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 I don't even want to say that they are entitled to question. I almost want to say that you should question. Uh, you, you, you should question as much as you possibly can. And I say that for two reasons. The first reason is if you're questioning, it means you are thinking about it and you are you you are firm in your own knowledge base and your 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 um your sort of well knowledge base is what i want to say secondly it keeps us on our toes as auditors we there's no ways that we are that we know everything i mean i i keep saying to people i know that i've been in this trade for 30 odd years and i'm just scratching the surface and that's the that's the gospel truth so so the 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 fact that um, some the perception out there that the auditors think they know everything and they can never be questioned that must be chucked out of the window, uh, uh, please, because we they have got to question these things. Okay, so to answer the question, is there is a very clear uh, um, uh, path that the auditor must show the plumber. In fact, the, if, if the plumber disagrees, the, the auditor, you should go to the auditor and the auditor will say to him, okay, here's a, a document that you can fill out that you can uh, uh, pop back to me and that then goes to the PIRB head office for further investigation and, and so on. The fact of the matter is that every single finding of, a, of, a, of an auditor can and should be, well, not should be, be, but but can be questioned if necessary. I'm not going to say question every single thing regardless of its legitimacy. But we've often come across, um, I mean, auditors make mistakes all the time, myself included. Daily, I make mistakes and I, and I misquote things and missay things. So we're all learning here. And and so um, the, just be aware that that process truly does exist. And it's simply a matter of filling out a form and sing, sending it off. It's as simple as that. So I'm not going to go into the actual process. Just in, It's more important to know that it does exist. Yeah, I think, Richard, just to go to that, I mean, it, it, you're 100% correct in saying that, but the, the plumber has to put it in writing, has to follow the due process, and it can, can't can be as we've had with some others. I don't have the money to fix it. You know, there needs to be real hard tax. You are audited in terms of the standards, and your response must be in terms of what part of that you disagree with that would be the evidence to question it or you had covered it in some other way. But the evidence has to be there, and it has to be done in the appropriate manner. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, just one one piece of one piece of advice for plumbers when when you do question it, and as Richard says, please pay attention and question when you think it's necessary, but don't uh, don't, don't list your reason as well. I'm convinced it should work like this or yeah. something like that. Remember, you test you you audit it against the standards. List the standards. Say you know what this clause of the standard says this. Therefore, I believe my work is right. Don't say my uncle taught me this way, and I'm sure it must be right. Just, just to add on to that, if you consider, um, if you do get the opportunity to have a look at that disagreement with audit form, um, it's actually quite straightforward. There's three or four questions and answers involved, and the one, or well, the first and most important one, like I mentioned when you asked about uh, attending the audit, were you on site? Were you the one dealing with the auditor, or are we dealing with something that one of your staff members told you that the auditor told him? And then the second most important thing on that list is that you are going to be asked your objection or your disagreement is based on like Herman says which part of the standard how, how did this misunderstanding or how did this whole thing come about if you're saying that I read 5.1.2 in this specific manner and this is how I understood it and this is how I differed from the auditor that gives you a leg to stand on but if you're simply saying but the guy doesn't like me or um like Herman says, I've been doing it for 30 years or I've been doing X, Y, and Z. There are four or five points that you need on that disagreement with audit form. And if you have sound points on there, I can guarantee you will be listened to. Adrian, while we're talking about the standards, um, and we have touched on the subject of COCs uh, a little earlier in this conversation, is it stated in any of the standards that apply specifically to plumbing work that plumbers must issue COCs? Yes, indeed. We have got three outright requirements in installation standards that require COCs from the plumbing professional body. Um, they'd be SANS 10.254, which deals with the installation, maintenance, replacement and repair of fixed electric storage water heating systems. Um, then we've got SANS 13.52, which is the installation, maintenance, replacement, repair of domestic air source water heat 
Lifting Heat Pump Systems. Whole mouthful every time, but that's the, the name of the actual standard. And then last but not least is SANS 10.10.6, which is the installation, maintenance, repair, and replacement of domestic water heating systems. They all have a uh, paragraph or section that deals specifically with the certificate of uh, compliance or you need to issue upon completion of this very installation you need to issue the coc from the professional body richard now while we know now that it's it's you know plumbers are compelled to issue cocs and and required by the standards to issue cocs who are cocs issued to are they issued to the consumer or to insurance companies who are cocs actually issued to william they are issued to the owner of the property okay um in 10254 uh section one uh, sorry 4114 it says on completion of the installation a certificate of compliance uh, and i'm going to just paraphrase uh, must be issued in terms of um, the relevant national legislation shall be issued to the owner of the installation again i'm paraphrasing i'm not reading the entire paragraph but that's what the words say now we have come across and we've often we've often had discussions surrounding um, you know, when an insurance, uh, a, plum a plumber that is on the insurance panel of a particular insurance company changes a geezer for that insurance company, who is his client? Well, it's the insurer. So they issue the certificate to the insurer, where in fact they should be issuing it probably to the insurer as well as the as the owner. The, the, the fact of the matter is when an auditor gets to that site, uh, he has got every right to quietly and gently ask the the homeowner whether they have a copy of that certificate of compliance and um, they should have that copy so it needs to go to the owner yeah, i can i can just quickly add to that remember the owner is the person that uh, owns the installation and therefore you need to own the certificate as well i mean it's all about the, who's got ownership and the responsibility for that installation in the first place and that's why it needs to be issued to the owner Apart from the fact that the law says so, but yeah, sorry, and and it's the owner of the property nine times out of ten. Well, if it's not him that's staying there, somebody that he knows and is links with and ties to is staying there, uh, that is subject to any kind of risks or any kind of uh, you know heads up that that the plumber must give to them. We spoke about uh, 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 the non-compliance notice. So it's no good that that notice sitting on a desk somewhere 3,000 miles away. It needs to be in the hands of the person right. staying at the property. I, I want to shoot this question to Adrian, uh, but I think that Hammond might be able to to uh, assist with, with answering that. Adrian, who becomes responsible for an audit uh, if a COC was issued by a plumber who then leaves the employment of the applicable company that he worked for at the time of issuing the COC. Okay, I think there are two things we need to look at. Um, if we start off by saying that the Plumbing Industry Registration Board does exactly that, they register plumbers, uh, the actual uh, professional individuals, whereas IOPSA's membership is made up out of the plumbing companies, merchants, and manufacturers. So the your employment with a specific company at this space in time is between yourself and the company. But as far as the COC is concerned, the licensed plumber who signed that COC or who signed on that COC or for that COC remains responsible for that COC, which makes it even more imperative that the professional signing the COC, whether employed by the company or by himself, actually goes around and supervises and inspects and makes sure that the work done on each of these COCs before he signs and logs it, that that work actually complies. So that should you in the event of leaving that company and getting a phone call to say that that job is going to be audited, you should be confident in yourself knowing that, you know what, I actually supervised it or I looked at that installation before I left there. This should be a simple in and out. If you have signed for something that you've not even seen before, you might get a rude awakening. I've seen that happen before. On site, when you step in on an audit and the first thing the plumber wants to know is, can we withdraw the COC. So I think it's important to note that the plumber signing or the registered professional signing for that COC will remain responsible for the work listed on that COC. Yeah, I think I, I think one important thing, remember 
it's 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 been a legal requirement to make sure that plumbing complies with the standards. I mean, that's been a legal requirement for more than a decade. Um, plumbers need to make sure that it complies in any case, and that is the best way to make sure there's no hassles. Whether whether you with this company or another company, yes, the plumber who signed the COC always remains responsible for that. But if you made sure that the work was done correct according to the standard. It adds no no burden to you whatsoever. Oh, thank you for that, Herman. While while we we've, we've got you ch- chatting to us, uh, can you tell us just very briefly a little bit more about the audit process within the PIRB's new audit it system? Okay, that's actually quite cool. So the new the the new audit it system took into account a lot of the comments that we get and that the PIRB received from the plumbers and from the auditors. Um, so the new system just makes it uh, easier, more, but much more convenient, much clearer to to go through the whole audit it, or through the whole audit process. And without going into into the detail of how it works, I'm sure we all came across that. What we really like about that is the the rules didn't didn't really change. The rules are essentially what it, what it used to be, but the interface makes it makes it much easier. This, we're all familiar with with um, social media uh, chat platforms. There's different apps you can use for for chatting and so on. And it's a sim- uh, same type of environment on the new system. All the failures, anything non-compliances that's been identified is listed with evidence, clear, easy to see for any plumber. Any communication between the plumber and the auditor is through a chat interface that makes it simple and easy. Uh, to communicate and and move forward, and it also makes sure that all the evidence um, on refixes on whatever has been done is there. So we do believe that it uh, that it makes life quite a bit simpler um, and even more transparent than it used to be. So so basically, to deduce from that is that the the new audited system simplifies the audit process while the rules remain the same. The, the rules remain the same, but the the actual process is simplified by the the new system. Absolutely, that's essentially the direction that it that it uh, that it goes. It even it even goes a step further, and you might have heard about the uh, the performance levels that the new system will will uh, keep track of to basically right and and the the more plumber is compliant the better he does the better his performance rating will be but that's a function a feature that you'll that all of us will see in the near future Adrian I'd like to shoot this question to you is there any proof and I know that we've touched uh, very briefly on that a little earlier in this conversation but is there any proof that the overall quality of repairs and or installations of plumbing work has improved since the introduction of auditing I would like to make that a resounding most certainly um, the quality of work overall has improved in leaps and bounds. Um, I'm sure if Herman, uh, if we had to force him to pull some stats in that, you'll probably find that on the stats, you'll find that there are less and less failures of these audits. And on the audits that do fail, there are not only less, but also smaller items that, that are on the list, uh, like minor technical stuff, or there might be uh, uh, something that someone missed somewhere, but it's no more a general failure from point one to point 40 and maybe there's one line that uh, the plumber happened to get right it's actually improved vastly um, to the extent that we, we know that the, the when it comes to being a contractor the last thing you want to do is you want to you don't want to go back to any job to fix work that you've already done or your staff has done just to comply if the original installation was done properly there wouldn't have been any hassles my personal opinion is that the main reason for this is that the guys out there when i say the guys i i do apologize it is we've just finished women's month and we have got lorraine here the guys and girls that own um plumbing companies will if they were honest about it, they would probably own up to the fact that they are familiarizing themselves better with the plumbing regulations and standards, and that they actually apply them more diligently to their day-to-day operations. Um, if you take the, there's, we mentioned this as well earlier, when, when the guys start spending time, effort, and money on upskilling their staff uh, that go onto job sites on a daily basis, um, it shows. I mean, if 
previously you might have had uh, and I, and I use this term in jest it's not it's not a, an offensive I hope it's not offensive to anyone but if they more they they no more pipe fitters going to site and just plonking something down and walking away and someone else signs a certificate the guys are actually starting to think about what they do and they put and, and there's pride in what they leave behind so that you don't want to get caught by an audit. It becomes like a mind game thing. We, I've done this job. Uh, I'd like to see what he finds wrong on this installation. So as far as that, uh, that question is concerned, I think the majority of the professional plumbers can pat themselves on the back because there's been a huge improvement. Well, that's excellent. That's excellent. Steve, I would like to revisit the question that I asked a little earlier about the selection criteria for becoming a listed auditor. And and we, we spoke about the methods and measures in place to ensure that auditors are competent and they're skilled and, and knowledgeable. Uh, is there any ongoing training once an auditor is listed? Yes, most certainly. I think it's one of our key focuses that, that we, we've started. So since the inception of IOPS taking over the the auditing process is that we have monthly meetings. Uh, I think we've got one next week. And and again, there we go through our code of practices, what it is that we're required to do. Uh, we pick up items in terms of consistency. And I think our biggest uh, thing is trying to have, I keep calling it that McDonald's model, that if an auditor in Joburg is auditing, it should be the same process in, in Cape Town or PE or Durban. So we're not quite there yet. Um, again, you're dealing with quite a few individuals and everybody seems to see the same job. But yes, training is, is of vital importance to us. Um, we sometimes bring in a couple of guest speakers. We'll have Herman there to address the auditors and have uh, strong discussions and debates in terms of the focus. We also do, we don't like to call them a roadshow, but it's, it's we would go down to the regions and, and meet with the regions individually. So our process in terms of training is is 100% uh, trying to find that, that real good mechanism and model that uh, all the auditors are on the same page. And the one thing that I would just like to, to, to bring into this whole thing is we could remember that the auditor is also accountable, you know, so, um, and it goes back to the training and everything else. But, you know, in the event that there's a problem and sometimes the plumbers see it as being, the auditor's being too harsh. The reality is the auditor audits according to what the standards are there. He cannot be willy-nilly and, and, and be sort of, uh, oh, that's okay, leave this. I mean, there are certain mechanisms which you can do it. But in evidence, you know, if uh, uh, an audit and something went wrong with an installation and the auditor hadn't picked up those things, we are then also accountable. So so we're really stringent in terms of sometimes it's like, are we going too far? But yes, we have to. We have to make all those notes and go through because there is accountability. We've got to remember that we've got two organizations that are professional in what they do and, and we're only as good as the people that we have on the ground. And therefore, the, the importation of skills and training is utmost imperative to uplifting this whole industry of ours. Can, can I just add on, on to that little bit that Steve is, is very modest when he when he says that we do have training in that. Uh, all the auditors are on a WhatsApp group like most other groups or associations are. So on that auditors group, you get a WhatsApp that says that uh, on Thursday at 11 o'clock, there'll be training and it is compulsory, no exceptions or no excuses will be accepted. So I think he's just being, he's trying to sound like the nice guy in the room which is actually not always um, when it becomes compulsory training and you will attend then every single auditor knows that whatever is going to be discussed you'll probably end up signing for that information that was conveyed to you sorry steve i had to put that in there yeah Okay, Adrian, since I'm not the nice guy and you've just ruined my whole day now, you know. And I was about to compliment Steve and say, you know what, from a PRB point of view, um, I really want to compliment you you and your team for the for the effort that, that really goes into that. There's a lot of actions in upskilling the auditors. The same as we said, the whole system is built to help upskill plumbers the same way auditors are continuously upskilled. Um, there's questions, there's there's detail coming coming back that we did never anticipated, where people say, hey, what about this? How do, how do you address this? How do we make this practical? Uh, so there's robust debate 
um, that goes backwards and forwards and goes into the process of making sure that the auditors really are yeah, I think also, on top of their game. Like we said it's a team, it's a team effort. And I think that, you know, again, I just want to emphasize the fact that, you know, we are not perfect and, and we are here to learn and we're here to adapt. And, you know, we're never going to stay the same. Um, but we really have some good people that are really passionate about uh, our industry. And, and again, it doesn't go back to rands and cents. Um, because when you see some of the, the trips and the, the additional work that's being done, uh, and also, Willem, you know, the, 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 the auditors have become the link. You know, we have on a daily basis, and I'm sure Adrian and Richard are here, but we would get, you know, from, from plumbers that we've dealt with that are phoning before they even do a job just to make sure that they're doing things correctly. So we've become like a mentor to the plumbers that we actually deal with on a daily basis. And that you can't add any value to. It's, it's, it's in, immeasurable in terms of the amount of info and support that the auditors are doing above and beyond, you know, the function of being an auditor. Um, it's it's phenomenal. And I, and I really am proud of the team. But at the same time, you know, when it's time to play, we will play. But when it's time to really deal with hard issues, as Adrian says, I can be a bit of a enforcer and a, this is how it's going to be. But I think it's a real concerted team effort that we can all be proud of. Yeah, all, all jokes aside, I, I, the comment I was trying and to I, raise, Steve, um, I should actually thank you guys for for what you're putting us through. But the 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 message behind the WhatsApp story is that you know what, when it's time for like you say, when it's time to play, you play. But when it's time to that auditor training at eleven o'clock is compulsory. It's not a, I'll decide if I can join or I can do this. You set aside the time so that you end up on the same page and all the other auditors in Joburg, Cape Town, all over the show. Everybody undergoes the same training at the same time so that there's no misunderstandings or any little mishaps lined up. One of the things I just wanted to say is, you know what? You have to look at the at the results. What's the end result of 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 all of this? Where does it come? Are there any references for that? And we more increasingly get comments to the PRB from homeowners. I mean, remember that's the people where the biggest impact lays. They are the people that that score out of this, that get the right installation, make sure everything is is fully compliant, and we get more and more compliments. Uh, from that direction. I'm sure you found it. I mean, I've seen a lot of the comments on the auditors groups as well, where, the, where they report when the homeowner came back and said, you know what, we are so excited about this. Thanks. Sometimes just say, you know what, thanks for the professional way that this has been done. Other times they say, well, we are grateful for the for the for what you've identified that we didn't know about in, in our system. So, I mean, that uh, there, there's a real satisfaction in in seeing the 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 final effect of, of all of this and the good that it does for the people of our beautiful country. I, I think it all boils down to the consumer at the end of the day. I mean, without the consumer, plumbing, plumbing wouldn't exist. I mean, plumbers would have no plumbing work to do. So I think it boils down to the consumer if they're happy and if this audit process and the auditing of the plumbing work and installations done at their premises uh, is valuable to them, then at the end of the day, I think the, the auditors are achieving a great goal. Just before we say goodbye, it's time to hit the brakes one last time. We'd like to encourage our audience to follow Articulated Plumber on Instagram and Facebook, not only to find out more about the Man in the Band podcast, but also to learn more about any exciting and interesting news that we may have. Our handle on both Instagram and Facebook is Articulated Plumber. Can I just ask, just before we end of the session, and I do appreciate all of your time, each one of you individually having set aside the time to come and join this conversation. Thank you so much. But just before we go, can I ask to to all of us in studio as a collective, is there anyone who would like to share with us any exciting news within the plumbing industry, any exciting news regarding auditing, etc.? Willem, uh, I think um, you know the only thing that we can say is, look, you know, COVID has, has been a uh, yeah a terrible time for everybody. But, you know, just to reflect on what, what we've done, you know, so we became very proactive in terms of from an IOPS and a PRB point of view. And we realized that, you know, we would be better coming out of COVID than we were going in. And, you know, you were part and parcel of some of these, uh, the training endeavors that we did. And we had two training sessions per week for the auditors. So we utilized that time in order to make our, our, our compliance auditors better 
better and industry better. Um, so for me, that's the encouraging part. And we will certainly see the fruits of it now that we're down to level two and we're getting out there and, and making it happen. But um, as I say, I can't emphasize enough how proud I am of the team and the plumbers, you know, that have been out there, that have embraced the way in which the audit's been done. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it really is a, a real positive message, if, if anything. Yeah, I think part of the positive message, I can't tell you what's happening tomorrow, but what I can see happen is, is happening today is a is a continuous improvement, continuous participation, continuous growth in the in the industry. Every month there's more and more COCs being locked. There's more and more audits that gets allocated, even with a, with a new system. I mean it shows that there's that there's life. That things things are are happening. Even in this challenging new times. Um, there's a lot of positive and a, a lot of growth happening. There's, so there's a lot of good to look forward to. What exactly it is, well, we'll, we'll be surprised to see ourselves. <laughs> there's life during COVID and life after COVID. <laughs> so I, I would like to thank each of you for, for your time to, uh, you know, to sit in in this conversation, to share the information that you have and to clarify a lot of aspects uh, that, that uh, you know, our audience may have had quite a few questions and I think quite a few of these questions that they may have had have been addressed and answered through your answers that you've shared with us today thank you for your time thank you for having joined this conversation and once again to our audience members also thank you for having listened to this conversation thank you for having joined us in this conversation finally it's time to switch off this engine cheerio man in the van podcast your regular audio drive time companion 